choir. Thank you, and thank you, Nathan, for leading us in worship. If you have your copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to please open it to the Gospel of John. In particular, John chapter 8, verses 39 through 47 will be our text this morning. It's been a, a good week for Emma. We're very thankful for that. Um, but I do want to ask you to pray for something specifically. Tomorrow afternoon, we'll be taking Emma to the Green Valley Center in Greenville, where she is going to be custom fitted for a, it's called a kneeler. It's a tool they'll be using in physical therapy that will help her uh, to be on her knees and elbows experiencing weight bearing, which is very good, not just for the stimulation of feeling that weight, but for her lungs, her head, everything. Uh, but as I said, we have to take her to Greenville. It'll be about a three-hour process where she will be fitted. So just pray that all will go well, safety and travel, safety while she's there, um, and that Jody and I will be as calm as we can be in all of this. So I would appreciate your prayer to that effect. It's been a while since we've been in the Gospel of John. I think it was maybe in 2018 we started going through this gospel verse by verse, but for really about the last five months, we stepped away to deal with some other things, but now we're going to get back into John 8 and pick up where we left off. John 8 begins where Jesus is put into a, a con quandary, or at least the Pharisees think they are doing that to him. Whenever they felt like they had Jesus cornered, they found out they were the ones really cornered. Because they brought a woman caught in adultery. And as was recorded in the scripture, Jesus looks at them and says, You without sin cast the first stone. He kneels down and begins writing in the dust. And one by one, starting with the oldest, they drop the stones and walk away. That instance enters the, Jesus into a conflict with the Pharisees. Jesus begins proclaiming that he is the light of the world and that he is the truth. And if you know the truth, it will set you free. And this conflict continues to escalate where you read in verse 30, 38 where Jesus says, I speak of what I've seen with my father. You do what you have heard from your father. Now he's implying then God's not their father. Now, as we dive into this, I, I want to tell you up front, there's a level of discomfort we should feel. Because we're listening in to a conflict that is raging. So follow with me as we start in verse 39. They, that is the Pharisees, answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father... You would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? 
It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You were of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Pray with me. Father, in reading this, there's a weightiness that I feel. Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning to hear you. Father, often we come to worship and we come to the reading and the proclamation of your word and our minds are cluttered. Father, I pray that you would drive out all the clutter, that you would cause all the noise that's in the background of our lives to cease and allow us, Father, to hear you this morning. Search our hearts, O oh God, and incline them towards you in the name of Jesus. Amen. As a child growing up in the 1970s, I was always fascinated with space flight, especially the Apollo rockets. As a little boy, I would often play on the couch. I would lay down with my back on the cushion and put my feet over the back, and that was my space capsule. Of course, the two most dangerous times for man's space flight is in liftoff and reentry. Reentry is especially harrowing. The capsule's protected by what's called a heat shield because the temperatures that the, that capsule encounters as it re-enters the atmosphere is well, well over two or three thousand degrees. To make matters worse, upon re-entry, there's a period, a blackout period, where there's no communication. So they don't know if the astronauts are alive or not, if they've been burned up or if they're still living. The movie Apollo 13 dramatizes this moment as they're waiting for the space capsule to enter. And someone asks the question, when will we know? When will we know if the heat shield was successful? When will we know that they're alive? many ways, that's the question I want us to ask from this text this morning. When will we know? How can we know that we are saved? How can we be certain that we are redeemed? One of the most tragic things I can imagine is for a person to live their life thinking that they are a follower of Jesus only to hear on that day, depart from me, for I never knew you. This text deals with the issue of how we can know we truly have a heart for God. Understand that when they enter into this discussion, they being Jesus and the Pharisees, and in verse 39, when they answer, Abraham is our father, that's a claim to salvation. To say that Abraham is your father is a claim of saying, I am part of the people of God, I'm a follower of God, I am redeemed. By saying that Abraham is their father, it's like they're saying, I've got my ticket to glory and written on it is the line of Abraham. Therefore, they believe they had favored status. 
But Jesus begins teaching to show them and to show us that there is a difference between being a descendant of Abraham and being a child of Abraham. In fact, Jesus says there's really only two options. Either your father is God or your father's the devil. The contrast is stark and it's meant to be. It's meant to, to shock us to say, wait a minute, is it that distinct of a choice? Either I'm following God or I'm not. And Jesus says, yes, it is. If God is your father, you've been born again. You've been adopted into the family of God. Jesus, as the scripture says, becomes our, our, our older brother and God our father. The only other option is that we are still children of the devil. Or as the Apostle Paul says, we are children of wrath that by our very nature deserve the judgment of God. So the question I put before us today is this. How can we know we're children of God? How can we know that we are truly redeemed? It's very easy to be fooled. I think sometimes we read about the Pharisees and we read about them and we, we keep a safe distance because we think, oh my goodness, the Pharisees. How could anybody be a Pharisee or follow a Pharisee? I think the truth is we would be all too comfortable among them. The Pharisees were the religious people. They were the ones that you would look at and say, if anybody's going to make it into the kingdom of God, the Pharisee will. Look how strict they are in their morality. Look how much they know the Torah. Listen to the spiritual authority with which they speak. By every measurement, they would have fit the kingdom of God. But Jesus says no. He says you look it, but God is not your father. And I want you to look at the process Jesus goes through, the process that will guide us in really taking inventory of our hearts. Notice where he begins in verses 39 through 41. Our actions will reveal if we are children of God. Notice after Jesus has called them on the carpet by saying, you're doing what you've heard from your father. And they defend themselves by saying, Abraham's our father. Jesus says these words, verse 39. If you were Abraham's children, you would be, look at the next phrase, doing the works that Abraham did. In other words, if you were truly a child of Abraham, if you were truly a part of the people of God, you would be doing the things that reveal God is your father. Our behavior will reveal our spiritual paternity. Our character shows if we are children of God. Jesus says clearly, if they were true children of Abraham, they would follow the example of Abraham. Look how Jesus draws the contrast. He says in verse 40, you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. I want you to think about Abraham for a moment. According to the scripture, Abraham was a model of faith. He trusted God. Leaving his home to go to a land that he knew not of. Trusting God for his righteousness. In the book of Romans, chapters 4 and 5, Paul says, You want a model of what it means to be saved by faith? Look at Abraham. 
Abraham was not only a model of faith and righteousness, he was a model of responding to God's word. Now remember, Abraham was not perfect. The book of Genesis never glosses over Abraham's sins. But Abraham was quick to repent. And his willing to obey God and God's word is demonstrated in Genesis 18. Whenever the messengers appear and tell Abraham and Sarah that they will have children, Abraham responds in faith, believing. But the Pharisees do none of this. They don't believe what Jesus says. In fact, they sought to kill Jesus. Rather than believing the message that is given by Jesus, when Jesus says plainly, I'm speaking to you from God, the Pharisees say, no, you're not. And their response to Jesus as revealed in their character shows that they are claiming to be something they aren't. This should cause us to take a look and to ask ourselves, does my character show that God is my Father? We abhor hypocrisy. There's something in us naturally that withdraws from it. As I mentioned earlier, I grew up in the 70s. And on Saturday morning, there would often be these public service announcements. And one of them became quite famous. Today, you can still find it, obviously, on YouTube. It's a public service announcement about pollution. The star of the ad is an Indian by the name of Iron Eyes Cody, known even today as the Crying Indian. In the commercial, he gets into his canoe and he begins paddling down a river and he sees pollution floating by continually. And he paddles by a plant that is pumping out, belching out smoke. He lands upon the edge of the river, gets out, and there's still litter around him. And he turns toward the camera and there's a single tear coming down his eye. He became the, the model for the Native American grief over what has happened to the land until something was discovered. For many people, it didn't quite set right. And it was found out that Iron Eyes Cody was really from Ohio with two parents who were full-blooded Italians. The image didn't quite match the reality. That's exactly what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. What you're putting forth is not really who you are. It's easy to play a role, isn't it? Even in coming to church. You see, this is a place where a person can find acceptance. Christianity for many people offers a, a code of morals by which to live and there's community. But the harder question becomes this. Does our character outside the walls of this building show that God is our Father? Do we show love, compassion, or is it all too easy to fall into anger and hate? Do we claim to be a child of God yet curse like the devil? And sometimes our actions are not shown in what we say or do, but often today in what we type. What I mean is this, there are many believers who claim to follow Christ and are quick to say praise the Lord. But for some reason, when they're in front of a computer screen and begin typing a response or, or begin writing an email or stating their opinion on something, the language used in what they type is no different from that of a non-believer. And somehow we justify it. I'm not really saying it. It's on the internet. Everybody does that. 
Jesus doesn't let us off that easily. Jesus asks us, do our works reveal that God is our Father? Do they show the character of God? And at the center of this will be Jesus. Notice that a heart for God goes hand in hand with a love for Jesus. Look at verse 42. Jesus answers one of their responses. Verse 41, after Jesus says, you're doing the works your father did, they say, we were not born of sexual immorality. Now, they're not trying to change the subject. They're saying, Jesus, you're accusing us of being duplicitous. You're accusing us of saying God's our father. Jesus, you're wrong. We're not born of immortality or immorality. He says, and notice what they say next is if to prove their orthodoxy, they state a form of the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. We have one father, even God. To prove that they are true, that they are legit, they say, we have one God. That's what we confess. But look how our Lord answers them. Verse 42. If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. We can't claim to know God and deny Jesus. We can't claim to be a child of God and ignore the Son of God. One of the hard edges of Christianity that causes us to be pushed to the edge of society today is our belief that Jesus is the only way to God. It's a belief that's rooted in the scripture. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. We live in a world that loves spirituality and will applaud spirituality until you make the statement that the only way to be one with God is through Jesus. So therefore it means that those who are children of God will make much of Jesus. Upon the screen, you'll see 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. How do you become a child of God? By believing in Jesus. Apart from faith in Christ, there's no redemption. Apart from faith in Christ, we are children of the devil, still under the wrath of God. It is only by God working in our hearts that we confess that Jesus is Lord. My mother used to have a saying. Mom would say, if my children aren't welcome, I'm not welcome. In other words, if someplace told her she couldn't bring her children in, Mama would say, well, I'm not going in either. Little Lima Jean Herod had a little bit of an edge to her. God says, if my son isn't accepted, I'm not accepted. If my son isn't a part of your life, I'm not a part of your life. We can't have Jesus, we can't have God without Jesus. Does our conversation reflect that? Do we make much of Jesus? I'm not just talking about sprinkling a little bit of Jesus into our, our talk like sprinkling a little bit of, a, of oregano on a pizza. I'm talking about, is he part of the warp and woof of our conversation daily with one another? Some say, well, I love Jesus, but not his church. But how can you love Jesus and disregard his body? Look at the latter part of that. 
Everyone who loves the Father, go back one for just a second. Whoever loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Part of a love for Jesus is a love for His people. So to say that I love Jesus but I'm not a part of the church is antithetical. You can't have both. That's like saying, I want to snow ski, but I don't want to go on a mountain and I don't want to be in snow. It doesn't work that way. So to be a child of God means that we make much of Jesus. And then we have a heart for God because we have a heart for the Word of God. So if our character reveals our parentage, our focus on Jesus reveals whether we are of God or not, so does our love for the Word of God. Look at verses 43 through 47. Jesus says, you don't understand what I say. Then he answers his own question. You don't understand it because you can't bear to hear my words. You know why they can't bear to hear the words of Jesus? Because you're of your father, the devil. We don't listen to the words of Jesus because he says you're not focused on Jesus. You're, you're seeking to serve your father who is the devil. Now notice the description of the devil. Verses 43 through 44, the devil wants to kill. He was a murderer from the beginning. He is a liar. He is the father of lying. Do you understand that Jesus is drawing a very clear line? A person who professes to know Jesus but continues to live in lies is revealing that their profession is more than likely false. If Jesus is truth and we are in Him, then truth will be a part of our lives. You see, Jesus is the exact opposite of everything the devil is about. Jesus came to bring life, to reveal the truth, and to redeem humanity. The Pharisees reject and want to kill Jesus. Therefore, showing that they are not of God. In fact, Jesus knows this. So in verse 46, He says, Which one of you convicts me of sin? He says, you want to kill me? Why? What are the charges? Notice no one says anything. He says, why don't you believe in me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you're not of God. Now how do we hear the words of Jesus? Obviously it's in the scripture. One of the marks of a believer is a love for the word of God. Even in times where reading may be difficult, where it's like we struggle, we still know that the Word is life because it points us to Jesus. It reveals who He is. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it like this. You'll see this quote upon the next slide. Bonhoeffer said, Because I am a Christian, therefore, every day in which I do not penetrate more deeply into the knowledge of God's Word and Holy Scripture is a lost day for me. I can only move forward with certainty upon the firm ground of the Word of God. And as a Christian, I learned to know the Holy Scriptures in no other way than by hearing the Word preached and by prayerful meditation. We can't claim to be of God and then ignore His Word. We can't claim to be of God and not seek Him in His truth. Now understand, I am not teaching by any means a work salvation. We are saved by grace through faith. But salvation that is of grace through faith will be demonstrated in our lives. One of the things I've learned in this journey with Emma is that there are many ways 
for a doctor to reach a diagnosis. There are many tests. And with each level, the test will become more invasive. You may start with just a glance at the patient. You may go from there to something that's a little bit more, to the, at some point even a biopsy. This text this morning is perhaps as invasive as a text can be in looking at our hearts. It's like an MRI of the soul. So I ask you this morning, does your life reveal that you are a child of God? Does your character show that? And if this morning you say, Pastor, I, I fail, what do you do when you fail? Are you quick to run to Him? That's a mark of the child of God. He may fall down, but by the grace of God, God lifts him up again. Where does Jesus fit into your life? And where does the Word? I want to ask you to bow with me. I recognize that in many ways this message is confrontational because you can't read John 8 without being confronted with the truth. But I ask you this morning, as the Spirit of God moves in your heart and maybe is revealing that you're not where you ought to be, I ask you to take steps to come to Him. God draws us, and God may be drawing some of you right now. Know that it is in His grace and His love that He may be pointing out that area where you need to turn and seek Him. And He is offering to you the Spirit to draw you. Nathan and I will be standing at the front when we begin to sing in just a moment that familiar hymn, Just As I Am, understand God is calling you. He is saying, come just as you are, but you will leave transformed. Don't stay just as you are. So this morning, if you need to come and pray, the kneeling bench is open. For some of you today, you may have grown up in church all your life and you know the religious language but deep down you know you have never turned from your sin and professed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So today I offer you that opportunity. Come to Him. And know the freedom of His grace. The burden of the Pharisees is a heavy one. No one can bear it. No one can be good enough. No one can wear the mask 24-7. But the grace of God gives freedom. The grace of God redeems us. I'm going to lead us in a prayer and then we will stand and sing. Father, I want to thank you for your love. Father, we need you. None of us could stand on that day. None of us. But only by your grace through Jesus Christ can we be clothed in righteousness. So that on that day you will say, welcome in, my child. Welcome in. Lord, I pray that this day, everyone in this service can have that certainty. That certainty, God. That they know beyond a shadow of a doubt their faith is in Jesus Christ. Father, for the one that is doubting, I pray they would bring those doubts to the foot of the cross. I pray, Father, that they would come seeking. Let your word accomplish its purpose. And I pray that with confidence. In the name of Jesus, my Lord, amen.